church, let's stand together. Sing, brethren, we have met to worship. supremely let us love each other too we're reminded of the two great commandments love the lord our god and love our neighbors as ourselves and so lord we pray that we would love you supremely today that we would love each other as christians and support and encourage one another and we, we would love a lost and dying world enough to go out and tell them about a savior who has died for them lord we pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth today and it's in christ's name we pray amen Hey, grab one of these cards. It's called a connection card, and please fill that out. And maybe you're a first or second time guest with us. We would love to know you're worshiping with us today, so please fill that out. And then everybody has a chance to put a prayer request back there, uh, comment, ask a question about the church, your relationship with Christ, and we'll be uh, happy to reach out to you and answer any of those, any of those questions. All right, folks, so today 
is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I, I just sense that there's some turkey and dressing comatose people out there. You're barely hanging on, and you got to shake that off because we're going to sing about redemption today. Amen? So let's sing this great song about I will sing of my Redeemer. I will sing of my Redeemer and His one. what Ephesians is about. I will praise my Redeemer. I will praise my dear
continue to sing about that redemption we received through Christ. This great old hymn writer gives it to us, Fanny Crosby, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the season of prayer today. Redeemed his child and forever I am. Let's just bow our heads and give him thanks for that great redemption that he has so graciously lavished on us. says to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's look to him just now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
best in this life we can turn our eyes toward Jesus but scripture tells us that we still see through a glass dimly amen we don't see perfectly there there are still mysteries in God's ways and God's word that we can't perfectly understand and that's okay because that makes him God and that makes us in great need of him amen and so this song reminds us of that come behold the wondrous mystery I hope you see the story of salvation through this great song robed in frail humanity in our longing in our darkness now the light of life has come look to christ who condescended took on flesh to rescue Suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law in which we stand. Behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. sing this great last verse come behold oh come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death the god of life but no grave could ever restrain him praise the lord he is alive what a foretaste of self-difference
bow with me and let's just pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would reveal this wondrous mystery in our text today from Ephesians. The great gift of salvation, the great gift of redemption that you have lavished on us. So undeserving, so ill-deserving, yet you gave. Lord, help us to receive your word, not in a way that's going to just bring us more knowledge, but in a way that is going to transform our lives. We, we will be literally different, more godly, more Christ-like followers of yours when we hit the parking lot today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Redemption in the Old Testament takes us back to the Exodus. It is the type, the prototype of what it means to be redeemed, and that was the Exodus. And if you will remember, when they are actually delivered from the Red Sea, they sang a song. It's found in Exodus chapter 15. It's the song of salvation. We should sing a song as well, based upon our redemption given to us from the Lord. Again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And we've been laboring in the fact that we were chosen by the Father. We praise Him for choosing us. Last week we began to study, we praise Him for redeeming us. Aren't you thankful? That God has redeemed us. That he has transferred us out of the kingdom of Satan. And into the kingdom of his son that he loves. He's given us redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that awesome? Psalm 130 verses 3 through 4 in the New Living Translation says this. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive but you offer forgiveness that's good it's good for us to hear those words now it would be easy for us to walk through Ephesians chapter 1 just to say that we did it just to say you know what we preached it we studied it but I think it's necessary for us to linger here in this particular text verses 3 through 14 so vital for us to see it we need to gaze at its riches we need to do so intently. We need to do so with detail in order to do this text justice. Now, I'm not an art fan. If you take me into an art gallery, I'm not going to linger long. I have no idea what you're looking at. I have no idea what you get out of it. Rembrandt, whatever. We see things and I'm just like, I'm going to coast right on by. Appreciate it, but not intently. Well, if you've ever appreciated anything intently and with detail, it ought to be Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. You should appreciate it. You should look for the detail, not just gloss over it. We'll miss so much if we do. Again, we are called to praise God for redeeming us. Redemption is the buying back of a slave by making him free through the payment of a ransom price. And Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And he has redeemed 
us. We are redeemed from slavery of sin and the slavery of Satan. And we talked about last week how are we redeemed. It is through the Lord's sacrificial death on Calvary's cross. That's what it means in verse 7 when it says we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's how we have been redeemed. But what is it to be redeemed? Well, it is to be freed from the dominion of sin and the dominion of Satan. So sin no longer has the upper hand. Sin no longer is ruling your life. Uh, One of the greatest chapters you can ever put to memory is Romans chapter 6. He that is dead is freed from sin. So that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. If you're saved today, righteousness leads your life, not sin. Again, it's not saying you won't sin. But what is it that holds you up? What is it that rules your life? If you're saved and you've been redeemed, it is righteousness. And thankfully, we're not under the rule of a tyrant and a dictator and the, man, uh, the murderer himself, Satan. If you've been saved, then Jesus Christ is now your master. Today, we get to, how, to the how and the why of redemption. Why does God redeem us and how does God bring about our redemption? Notice how verse 7 ends. Notice the scripture. Let's read beginning in verse 7, but notice how the end of it says. In him we have redemption. There's that word. Through his blood. That was last week's point, right? We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses. All right, here's today. According to the riches of his grace. That's how you're saved. We've moved now to the why. And the how of salvation. It is according to the riches of his grace. And how did he do this? He lavished it upon us. In all wisdom and insight. Now, for the next four weeks after today, we're not going to be in Ephesians. But when we get to January, whatever first Sunday that is, we'll pick up this verse. Verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will. Wouldn't that be a good thing to talk about starting... 2021 and that is set forth in Christ verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth you know what one of these days our God's going to sum it all up in Christ we'll talk about that at the beginning of the year but for our purposes today point number two on our outline God redeemed us according to the riches of of his grace. Now, folks, this phrase is important. Put your thinking cap on. Follow the text. It's vitally important. Why? Because it expresses it expresses the why of our redemption. Why would God redeem disobedient and sinful servants of sin and Satan? Why would he redeem natural fallen men and women who love their own sin and rebel against God both in Adam and volitionally with your own mind? Right? You've done this. We rebel against God. Why would God redeem sinners? Well, the answer is found in this prepositional phrase, according to the riches of his grace. That phrase actually gives you the standard and the reason for our redemption. I can't say it any better than Peter O'Brien, but here's what he says. The decisive rescue from divine judgment of our trespasses is wholly in keeping with the riches of God's grace that he actually lavishes on us. And he says, moreover, these riches 
of divine grace are the ultimate cause of our redemption. For the preposition which speaks of the norm that governs something, in other words, so that, or according to, or because of, that prepositional phrase speaks of in accordance with, and at the same time provides the reason. In accordance with and because, God gives us deliverance. It is according to the riches of His grace. This means that it is the riches of God's grace that is the norm and the standard that governs our redemption. Hey, that's good stuff. Are y'all as excited about that as I am? How y'all feeling about that? It is according to the riches of His grace. Let that sink in. Could justice have been the norm that governed your redemption? Could it have been? Justice would cry out for your condemnation. Because God is just. Well, could pity be the norm or the standard of your redemption? No, because just to see a slave and feel pitiful about him is not enough. It took grace to move God to action. Justice could not be the norm of your salvation. Mere pity alone could not be the norm or the standard for God redeeming. The standard is the grace of God. Why did God redeem? He redeemed because he is rich in grace. Don't you like that word? Justice calls for condemnation. And mercy calls for for pity. Grace motivates God to redeem. Now, there are many places in the Bible that speak of riches of something in relation to God. You can probably think of some of these. It talks about God is rich in kindness. I like that, don't you? It also says that God, uh, it is the riches of his kindness that actually leads us to repentance. Twice in the book of Romans, he, or twice, Paul in his writings actually speaks of the riches of God's glory. And even in this text, chapter 1 verse 18, or in this passage, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. So we see this, tie, this word riches and wealth tied to his glory. We see in Romans 10, 12 that God is abounding in riches. We see the unfathomable riches of Christ in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. Listen, to me though I am the very least of all the saints, there was grace given. Aren't you thankful that grace was given to you to preach the Gentile, to the Gentiles the unsearchable Riches of Christ. Again, the wealth, the riches of Christ. If you turn over to to chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 7, let me show you how this all ties together with the riches of his grace being extended to us. Chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Y'all see the connection? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the God who is rich in mercy is the God who, out of the riches of his grace, extends mercy and redeems us. It is the fullness of grace that supplies the why 
of redemption. We would have to say that the wealth of God is a type of an attribute. Would we not? Consider that for a moment. God is wealthy. Now, we're using a term like riches of his grace, but in actuality, we're trying to measure the immeasurable. Right? Because that chapter 2 verse 7 says that it's the immeasurable riches of his grace. Now, think about that for a moment. There are attributes of God that are communicable. He's communicated to us these attributes, and we share them if you're saved, right? Love, peace, joy. These things God communicates to us. We're able to love. We're able to experience friendship and fellowship. But there are some attributes that are incommunicable. God cannot communicate those attributes to us at this moment because they belong only to God. Well, here is one of them. It's called wealth. The riches of his grace. His wealth is his alone, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. The wealth of our God and who he is in his person and the limitlessness of his resources make any wealth of anybody in this world seem like a pauper. Bill Gates, he's not wealthy compared to God. Are y'all listening? This, this is immeasurable. In other words, God's resources are without limit. This is true for his kindness, it's true for his glory, and it's true for his grace. So to say riches of his grace, again, is an attempt to measure that which is immeasurable. It's amazing grace. It's abounding grace. Think about this for a moment. Why did God redeem us? It's because he is wealthy in grace. And this redemption we have through his blood, is governed by and caused by the riches of his grace. And again, notice, this, is, this grace is according to his wealth. Why, why is that important? It's according to the riches of his grace. Now let's say that two men in our church, let's say we had two very wealthy men in our church. If you have that wealth, you know who you are, Right? And let's say that y'all both wrote a check to the building fund. I'm just meddling a little bit, prying. Or, or you wrote a check for any particular cause. So you got two men. Let's say that one writes that check out of his wealth. And the second man writes the check according to his wealth. Which man gave the most? It's the second because the first man gave out of his wealth, meaning he had a whole lot left over. But the second man gave according to his wealth. That means you can't measure. When you measure it, it measures to what the person has in their totality. They give according to their wealth. When God extended to you his wealth, ladies and gentlemen, he held absolutely nothing back. And our God is not stingy one bit. But he gave out, he gave according to his wealth. Can you imagine? You, you should think about that. You should revel in the fact that our God, who abounds in this glorious grace, would give it to us in redemption through the riches of his grace. Nothing stingy about this redemption. Who's writing this? Well, yeah. The holy men of God were moved by the Spirit. Yeah, we get that. The Holy Spirit is writing it. But who's the personality writing it down? It's the Apostle Paul. Do y'all think Paul ever got over grace? Our problem is we have. The thing is, Paul never got over his salvation, but we get over it. 
And all you got to do is walk in the Baptist church and you'll see. All you got to do is sit in a worship service and you'll see that. Some of you look at me strange, right? Now think about this for a moment. This, this abounding grace is coming from Paul who killed Christians and persecuted Jesus and was a Christ hater. But all friends, when God gave him grace according to his riches, Paul was never the same. He didn't get over it. He's writing this because he knows what it means to be given the grace of God. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, you can read about that. He tells us, here's the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and that he rose again. And then he starts talking about Jesus' appearances, over 500, right? This, would this pass any court of law? You better believe it. And that's the way Paul gives it. He gives it like a lawyer's brief. And he's telling us about Jesus. He says he appeared to James and this one and this one. And then he says, and lastly, he appeared to me as one born out of due time. And then in verse 8, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. You do realize if you're saved today, you are that because of grace. That's why you're saved. God poured out his grace upon you. Do you know something this morning? Of the transforming grace of God given to you in your life. When you hear the words grace, the words grace of God, do you contemplate God's redeeming love? Look folks, you can't talk about grace without thinking about redemption. And we we divorce those things sometimes. Do you understand that there's no redemption without grace? It is according to the riches of His grace that you are redeemed. No other way. No other way is possible. It is according to the riches of his grace. So what's your attitude? What's your gratitude? The fact that a holy and righteous God would redeem your soul and he would give you grace out of the abundance of his wealth is something that we ought to praise God for. And if you don't know Christ, I invite you to the banquet table of grace. As the old song says, it is grace that will pardon and cleanse within As the song says, it is grace that is greater than all our sins. I invite you to that grace. Notice the next expression. We're going to move here to the reason. We move from the reason to the actual experience of redemption. In other words, think about it like this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Pause. That would be... Redemption explained, right? That is a historical fact, that the Son of God redeemed mankind. We're coming up on Christmas, right? Incarnation. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save, come on, you know that, his people, right? Son saves sinners. Is that not the gospel? You shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. We, we see that the gospel is given with full force. With, with that historical reality that Jesus Christ redeemed sinners. But has it been experienced in your life? Okay. So we say objectively. He is our redeemer. Christ died on the, on, on the cross. On Calvary. Shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. But has it been applied to your life? Does, in other words. Murray. The old theologian actually wrote a book called Redemption Accomplished and Applied. You know what? Redemption has been accomplished, and we can't change that. Hallelujah. The Redeemer lives. But here's the better question. Has it been applied 
to you. So in other words, we can refer to the objective work of Christ accomplished on our behalf. Yet when we talk about redemption applied, we're moving from a historical reality to the actual experience of us being redeemed. In other words, redemption is an experiential application. It has an experiential application to it. It is something that we enter into by human experience. Redemption is not merely mental. The demons of hell believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But are they saved? No, okay? When God lavishes His grace upon us, it is a reality that you know and you experience. Does it make sense? It has been lavished on you. The grace of God. Can you remember a time when you were in darkness? And then once you were saved, you were automatically in the light. The Bible says that you were dead. Chapter 2, verse 1, in trespasses and sins. But God made you alive. There was a time when you were indifferent to God or even hated God. But now you love Him. So this experience of being transformed by God's grace becomes a living reality. Folks, this is something you all need to think about in this church. You say you believe in redemption, but is it a living reality in your life? Contemplation. Introspection. is good for your soul. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, I believe that, that Christ died. He's, he's the Redeemer. Is it actually a reality in your life? Have you sensed that transformation in your own life because the riches of God's grace has been bestowed upon you? So we see that the accomplishment of a redemption was according to the riches of his grace and the application of that redemption is according to the riches of his grace and it's bountiful and it's full we don't use this term very often do we it says that his grace has been lavished when's the last time you used that word lavish what a word to see to think about it means to make abound or to shower Upon, it means to provide for in abundance and to have some left over. The New Test, the exegetical guides of the New Testament says it means to cause to abound. Now, folks, how do you give a word picture for lavish? To cause to abound, to have more of an excess, for it to be overflowing. Any of you ever been in a soup line? Well, you probably have, if, if you're back in uh, elementary school, right, we somewhat, I don't know how to do it nowadays with the COVID, but you probably go through a line. Have you ever served in a soup kitchen or anything like that? Let's say that we have a grace line, not a soup line, but let's say we have a grace line. And there's this individual who shows up in the grace of God line, and God's going to pour out grace, and he brings a tablespoon. And he's standing there in his mind. He needs grace. And he says, I know that the Lord can bless me and give me grace. And he's going to fill up this tablespoon. The next guy beside him is holding a coffee cup. Y'all held one of those this morning, didn't you? Just like I did, right? And he says, you know what? I think that we ought to believe that God can do more than the tablespoon. And so I brought my coffee cup and I believe God is going to fill it up. The next guy is holding a tin can, larger, maybe a coffee can. And he says, well, I see the tablespoon and I see the coffee cup, but I'm telling you God is able to give more grace. 
And then here's the next guy uh, with a five-gallon bucket. And he says that God is able, I believe, to do more than the tablespoon and the coffee cup and the tin can. God can fill up this five-gallon bucket. And then there's a guy with a 33-gallon trash can. And he says, you know what? I believe God can pour out his grace in this manner. But that's not it. Here's a guy with a 55-gallon drum. And he says God is able. To... You understand that when God actually pours out his grace, none of those instruments can contain it. None. It is overflowing. It is pouring out. We are literally swimming in grace. That's the best I can do. Because that's what the word means. It means to abound and overflow and be more in abundance than you can ever imagine. Check this out. And it comes from grace that is absolutely immeasurable. And you are a recipient of that if you're saved. Smile at least. Praise God that he has lavished his grace upon us. Now folks, get this. He saves you according to the riches of his grace. And how does he do it? Well, he lavishes this grace upon you. He pours it out in abundance. Now check this out. Final point. Praise God for redeeming us through the blood of his son. Praise God for redeeming us according to the riches of his grace. How does he do this? God, God's grace is lavished on us. But check this out. God's grace is according to wisdom and insight. That's what the text says. So we move from the why of redemption to the how he brings redemption to us. Now folks, you ought to want to know this. How does our God bring redemption to his people? That's something we ought to all want to know. Well, he lavishes grace upon us with all wisdom and insight. This is the wisdom and insight that God himself has, but he gives it to you. Note this. He lavishes his grace upon you, and he does so in wisdom, and he does so in insight. This is the wisdom and insight that God gives. And ultimately, it's the redeeming grace of God in Christ Jesus, which is called the gospel. Now, 1 Corinthians. Track with me. We're about to land the plane. I know you've got the turkey and dressing stuck to your sides. But please listen to this. It's so vitally important for you to hear. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ, Jesus, who became to us, y'all see it? Wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Check this out. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. And redemption is one of them. Are you all looking at the text? Isn't it fun to do a Bible study? All right, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Let me explain why this is so vital for you to have wisdom and insight given to you from God. Not only in order to believe, but also to live the Christian life. Okay? It's vitally important. And this, by the way, might be the answer to what's going on in our world today among churches who have people who don't live for God. Might it be that people don't possess wisdom and insight? May it be that you're not saved, period. Because you can't be saved without wisdom and insight. 
It's according to the grace of God that has been lavished upon you in wisdom and insight. Right? So listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 6. Are y'all looking at the word? Can we pull that one up? If we can't, that's okay. I know, folks, you trust that I'm reading God's word, but there's something about seeing it with your eyes. That's how you study the word. You look at it. Right? Listen to verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not wisdom of this age, are the rulers of this age. You ever looked around and listened and thought, what's wrong with these people? Why, why is it that everybody don't get it like we do? What, what's wrong? How, how can you live like that? How can you think like that? How can you believe like that? Well, it's the wisdom of this age, and that's not the wisdom of God. And the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Woo. None of the rulers of this age understand this, understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. All right, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That we might understand these things freely given to us by God. Are y'all tracking with the Scripture? And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Folks, what's wrong when there's a disconnect with the spiritual? What's wrong in our day when young people and adults can't make spiritual decisions? Or refuse to put God into their lives and make those decisions based upon Scripture? Spiritual truths are to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, let's put this together. 1 Corinthians 6, 6 through 16 says that the wisdom of God is tantamount to the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the connection. That wisdom is tantamount to the revelation of Jesus Christ unto salvation which comes through the gospel. So the wisdom of God is the revelation of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Would you all agree? It is. When Paul says that God lavished his grace on us with all wisdom and insight, he's talking about the wisdom and the insight that he gives in order for us to believe the gospel. And not only to believe the gospel, but actually to live the Christian life once you have believed the gospel. The word insight here is only used one other place in the New Testament. And it has the idea of the changing of the mind and the changing of an attitude. It's used in the other place in reference to John the Baptist's ministry. Do y'all know what was said of him in, in Malachi and in the Gospel of John? 
It says that he will be used, John, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and to turn their attitudes back to righteousness. So when it comes to the insight here, we are speaking of a wisdom and an insight that are necessary provisions in order for you to receive redemption. You cannot be saved unless you have been given wisdom and insight from God. Period. No way, no how, it's impossible. This wisdom and this insight must come from God. So, think on this for a moment. If slavery to sin and Satan requires God to redeem you, then our natural ignorance and blindness requires God to give us wisdom and insight in order for us to know we need to be redeemed. Without that, there's no knowledge of sin nor the need to be saved. So the natural man does not discern the things of God. He cannot. That's what the Bible said. That's what we just read. So we are born into this world ignorant to the things of God. It is our ignorance and blindness to the things of God that requires God to give us both wisdom and insight so that we understand his redeeming love. Imagine that you have a poor and a deaf slave. He is not only deaf, but he can't see. So, you hold up the title deed from an executor to tell him that he's the recipient of someone's estate. And he's just received $10 million. But he's deaf. And he's blind. By the way, if, if I'm on my deathbed and you're leaving me $10 million, don't tell me. I'd rather not know it, right? Okay. Let's say that you go to him and you show him the deed. But guess what? He can't see it. You attempt to read to him what the deed says, but he cannot hear it. And let's say for the sake of this illustration that you actually have the ability to unstop deaf ears. And you actually have the ability to give sight to the blind. So you open his eyes and his ears miraculously and you show him the deed. Question, or statement. Even at this point, because he is blind and deaf all of his life, he has no frame of reference to even know what a deed is. Right? He doesn't have any frame of reference to understand dollar signs or decimal points or zeros. To him, it's just a bunch of scribbling upon a page. This man needs to possess wisdom and insight to comprehend, comprehend the magnitude of the inheritance. That is you and I when we are born into this world. We are born spiritually blind. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are born ignorant to the things of God. But God, by his blessed Holy Spirit, opens our eyes. He gives us a new heart. He unstops deaf ears. And he gives us wisdom and insight in order for us to see the beauty of Christ and receive redemption. No wonder Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It's the glory of the gospel given to lost sinners. Redemption is a historical fact. Right? It is. Now, let me back up to insight. Folks, do you understand how important it is for us to walk with God? That same wisdom and insight that God granted to you the day that you actually trusted Christ is the same wisdom and insight that ought to be in your life today if you're a follower of Jesus. In other words, folks, if you belong to Christ, it ought to make a difference in the way you live. We got to wake up. I mean, you can claim to be a car all day long. 
and even pull up in a garage and make vroom, vroom, vroom noises. But that doesn't make you a car. And you can claim to be a Christian all day long, but the proof's in the pudding. You getting this? I mean, folks who are spiritual, act spiritual. I'm not talking about holier than thou. I'm talking about the difference between a spiritual and a natural man. You understand that spiritual people are saved. Natural people are lost. Natural people cannot discern the things of God. How is it that when you become spiritual, you can discern those things? It's because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that is in you. Okay, now again, redemption is a historical fact. Jesus died in order to redeem sinners from sin and Satan. Y'all agree with that? This is a glorious fact. Yet in order to experience that reality, something must take place on the inside of you before you can ever see the need for reality of it. And it is the Lord God Almighty who places you in the valley of decision based upon his lavish grace upon you, based upon the wisdom and insight. It is the Lord that puts you in the valley of decision and then you, by the grace of God, respond in faith if you are to be saved. You believe the gospel. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself. The, the instrumentality of belief comes through faith. That's the way our God has granted it so that you'll never boast in anything you've done. Right? So, to the natural man, the things of God are foolishness. And he will not embrace them. Paul's going to say that in 1 Corinthians. The gospel's foolishness to the world. As a matter of fact, he's going to say the gospel is an aroma to death. Unto death for those who are perishing but it's an aroma of life unto life to those who are being saved so to the natural man a Jewish man dying on a cross to save sinners that's foolishness that's foolishness to the lost world I mean you've probably heard people say this on national TV recently that just makes absolutely no sense to me you know why because God has chosen the foolishness of the gospel to change our hearts. And in reality, when God gives you wisdom and insight, you figure out pretty quick that you are the actual fool. You are the actual fool and Jesus becomes your all and all. That's the way the gospel works. So, we move from thinking the gospel is foolish to remembering, Hey man, I was the real fool and the gospel is absolutely glorious. Well, here's my prayer. I pray that our God would give us wisdom and insight. So that we see the beauty and glory and truthfulness of the gospel. God must grant to our darkened and blinded minds the insight to comprehend some, in some degree the unfathomable riches of Christ Jesus the Lord. Now look, some of you were raised in a Christian home. And you heard the name of Jesus your whole life. Not only were you raised in a Christian home, but many of you were brought to church. As one old preacher said, I was drugged. My mom and dad drug me to church every single day, right? So you were brought and you heard the name of Jesus over and over and over again. And for some of you, it's made little or no difference in your life. But on the flip side of that, there's some of you that grew up in an irreligious home. And thank God you were saved out of that, right? And God's grace was sufficient to save you. The point I'm trying to make is this. It takes the Holy Spirit of God giving you wisdom and insight to save both of those kinds of people. It takes just as much wisdom and insight to save the rotten, low-down sinner, the vilest sinner you know, versus the kid who grew up in a Christian home and heard about Jesus every day. The other 
person over here heard Jesus, yes, but he heard it as a curse word most of his life. But this kid over here had the blessing of raised, being raised in a Christian home. I'm trying to tell you, folks, you still have to have the wisdom and insight of God in order to be saved. And young people, you don't go to heaven on the coattail of your mom and dad. God redeemed my mom and dad. I'm safe. No, you're not. You, too, must believe the gospel. You, too, must believe by faith the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It must, it's accomplished, but it must be applied to your life. Does that make sense? And that's true for everybody in this building. It is a historical fact, but has it been applied to your life? So, only the Holy Spirit of God can give us wisdom and insight to see our Redeemer, Christ the Lord. And when you are given this wisdom and insight, you believe it by grace through faith. It's kind of like the story of Rahab in the Bible. Why is it? That God went after that woman? What, what about all the other Jerichoites behind the wall? Why did God visit Rahab? And here's what we know. We know from that story that the grace of God seeks sinners. It seeks and saves. But in Rahab's case, it also chooses and changes. It conceives and calls. And then ultimately... When grace seeks and faith responds, it always changes a life. Did y'all get that? That's good preaching. You can claim to be a recipient of grace all you want to. And you can, you can claim that you believe the gospel. But where's the change? Folks, Rahab, the prostitute, landed in the genealogy of Christ. Un, that's called matchless, wonderful, marvelous grace. That would reach behind the wall of Jericho. And pull this woman up. She wasn't, you know what she heard? She had heard that the great God of Israel was unrivaled. She heard the word of God. Ooh, that's good stuff, isn't it? Just think on those principles of grace and seeking and changing and the difference that it ought to be in your life. How about Peter? We'll end with this. Some of you are glad, right? I'm doing pretty good. I'm usually a little later than this. All right, think about Peter. On one occasion, Jesus was teaching and preaching, and he said something like this. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part of me. And then he goes on to say, no one can come to me unless the Father who is in heaven draws him. And man, I'm telling you, the Pharisees checked out. They didn't like it. They didn't like it one bit. Jesus was saying, unless you internalize me, unless you believe in me totally for salvation, you will not be saved and you will not have forgiveness of sins. Pharisees didn't like that. They didn't believe, they believed only God could forgive sins and they didn't recognize that Jesus is God. But you know what Peter said? Jesus turns around and says this. Are y'all going to leave too? Y'all know this text? And Peter said, where else can we go? And then he says this, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where did Peter get that knowledge? Logical, deductive reasoning? All right, how about this? Peter is standing with the twelve, and one of those is of the devil. Remind you of that. And Jesus said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they give the litany, Elijah, Jeremiah, others, prophets, down the line. And Jesus said singularly, what about you, Peter? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God.
Where did Peter get that? Logical deductive reasoning. The Bible says, Jesus said to him, Peter, bar Jonah, son of Jonah, flesh and blood cannot reveal this to you. But only your father who is in heaven. Who gave the insight and the wisdom in order for Peter to know who Christ was? God gave it. Hallelujah. Praise God for the gospel. You today are invited to the table of grace. You are. And perhaps that is what's going on in your heart today. You know full well that God is speaking to your heart. I can tell you now the enemy's not going to tell you to come and get saved. All right? It's the wisdom and insight of God. Him lavishing his grace upon you that you have in your heart and mind this moment in time. That you're saying in your heart, today is the day of salvation. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. I pray that you know the Lord. I pray that you are redeemed. That Christ is your Lord and your Savior and he is your personal redeemer. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for wisdom and insight. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, thank you for faith. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remind us that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come to the Father except through you. In a world where people believe there are many ways to heaven, many routes, you say exclusively that there's no other way. We're going to stick to the Bible. We're going to believe what you said. Salvation is exclusive. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And few find it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you showed us the way. It is by grace through faith. It is through redemption. And we are so thankful today to you, God Almighty, that you would condescend from heaven and take on human flesh. And you yourself would become the redeemer of mankind who would pay that ransom cost and price to save us from the market of slavery. God, thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David, would you share what you shared in the first service? And then we're going to have a traditional invitation. If you come down here and you get close, I'll put a mask on. All right? But in a sermon like this, Miss Sandra Cahill went out today and she said, Pastor, nobody will sit in that service and have an excuse. You are a faithful pastor who gives the word every single week. And folks, if you don't come to Christ based upon the preaching and teaching of the word and the drawing of the Holy Spirit and what's been proclaimed here, then you're without excuse. You are. You're without excuse. Let's sing. Uh, David, share that. Well, at age 11, I had been to church a little bit, but was not a Christian. And my best friend came to school one morning. And he just come running down the hallway and grabbed me. And he said, David, I've been saved. And I said, Steve, I, I didn't know you were in trouble. I had no wisdom and insight, did I? But that was the beginning of God speaking to me and telling me, David, I'm drawing you. I'm calling you. I'm, I'm going to save you. Amen. And later on, about six months later in the summer at Vacation Bible School, I gave my life to Christ. My question now to, to, to you is that question I had. I didn't know I was in trouble. And when I figured out I was in trouble, or when God revealed to me I was in trouble, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Amen, right? 
that was the beginning of redemption for me. I pray that if you have not yet sensed that you're in trouble spiritually and eternally, that today could be your day of salvation. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer. With His blood He purchased me. On the cross He sealed my pardon. Paid the debt and made me free. You set me free. You set me free. My ransom so free. The darkness is over, beholding I see a living redeemer, love healing me, forever forgiven, this love song I sing, you set me free. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for setting us free, paying that ransom price. So, next week we'll have uh, some folks that will uh, read some scripture. Uh, you may be asked. So that means we, we need double what we've had before. So we'll have eight, probably eight families taking part in the Advent. You'll read a set of scripture. Sometimes uh, I will be preaching what you read. Sometimes it'll be very similar. But we'll go through those four Sundays from the uh, candle of prophecy up to the candle of Christ. So I hope you'll make every effort to be here during the month of December. God bless you. Amen. Have a blessed week.